All right, the book of Ephesians, which we started a teaching on last week, is a letter to the church at Ephesus, and it was written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, we did a lot of uh, uh, teaching last week on the background uh, to where this uh, letter came from and uh, Paul's ministry in Ephesus. So I want to just do a little bit of review uh, on that, and then we'll get into some new material tonight. But uh, Ephesus was a coastal city. Uh, in Asia Minor, we know that that area is modern-day Turkey. Uh, it was the most prominent uh, city of that region. And uh, Paul first went to Ephesus for just a brief visit. Uh, Acts 18, 19 through 21 tells us about that, which we won't take time to read tonight. And uh, he returned to Ephesus, uh, and he found a, a few disciples of John the Baptist, actually, and so we'll pick up right there in Acts 19 and verse uh, 1. It says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And so... This is the birth of the church at Ephesus. And uh, so there's, Paul comes and he uh, encounters these, this group of 12 people. And uh, he asks them if they received the Holy Spirit when they believed. And they said they hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit. He knew that they were uh, following God. Uh, but then when he began to talk to them, he found out they hadn't even heard about Jesus. They'd only heard that John the Baptist had come and they'd been baptized through, they knew about John's baptism. I don't know if they were, probably they were not directly baptized by John, but probably some of John's disciples went out and were spreading that message, and so they got baptized. And, uh, but then Paul said, well, John was just getting you ready. You know, John was just the warm-up. The real, the real deal, the main event is Jesus, and he's come, and he's died for our sins, and he's risen from the dead. And so it says when they heard that, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And then it says when, uh, after that, then Paul said, okay, now back to my first question, the Holy Spirit. And then so he lays, he, they, they get saved, they get baptized in water, and then Paul lays hands on them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Again, this is the birth of the church at Ephesus the church at Ephesus began as a spirit-filled church. Amen. That should be the pattern for every church. That, that is the pattern. That should be the pattern for every Christian, for every believer. And uh, so Paul spends the next three years there in Ephesus, and a great work of God takes place. Many people came to the Lord. We'll skip down to verse 19 of Acts, or verse 9 of Acts 19. It says, But when some were hardened... And did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years. 
so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now again, this is Asia Minor. It's not Asia that we think about Asia today as China and Japan and, and all of that whole region. It's, it's a more localized region, but it's still a large area with a large population. And it says that in the space of two years that everybody in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. That's pretty amazing that every, every person got evangelized. Every person, now we, we know that every person didn't get saved, but every person heard. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to make sure that people hear the gospel. Amen? Only God can save them. But it's our job to make sure that people hear. And so they had heard in two years, everybody that lived there, Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Praise God. So some, some came there to Ephesus where Paul was teaching in that school of Tyrannus. But surely many people came to where Paul was teaching, heard the message, their life got changed, and then they went out. Amen. That's the way that it always works with any great working of God. I think about the Azusa Street Revival that happened in the early 1900s. Many people went to Los Angeles, went to Azusa Street, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and went around the world. Praise God. That revival, that outpouring of the Spirit spread around the world because people wanted to go. If you, if you get impacted by God and touched by God, you want to go and tell people. Amen. And that's what they did. Uh, and, and really, we could, uh, uh, we could call this the first missions evangelism school that Paul was conducting there uh, in Ephesus. And so there were so many people that were getting saved and turning from their idol worship uh, to the living God and following Jesus that the craftsmen there in Ephesus that made the idols, they were getting upset because their business was way down. Prophets were way down. And uh, they ended up starting a riot. And uh, at, the, at the end of that, Paul was almost uh, uh, pulled. Of the, he wanted to go into the theater. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about the uh, theater in a little bit here in Ephesus. But there was a great crowd that gathered there in that theater. And we read about that last, uh, last week. And uh, the, some of the city officials that had become believers, they sent word to Paul. And they said, no, don't you dare go in there. They'll, they'll tear you apart. And, uh, and so uh, Paul in, ends up leaving Ephesus. He, he ended up staying there for three years. So he ends up leaving uh, after three years. And then uh, we skip down to Acts chapter 20, which tells us about that. This is when he had come back uh, to Ephesus, or come back to talk to the... He didn't actually come to Ephesus. He came and talked to the uh, leaders, the elders of the church. And uh, somebody's device is going off if we can silence that <laughs> so um but in uh in acts uh, 20 verse 31 it says therefore watch and remember that for three years i did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears and so he testifies that he had spent three years there teaching them so now brethren i commend you to god and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know, he knows that he, that he won't be back to see them in person, but he commends them to God and to the word of his grace. And basically he's saying that, you know, uh, he said it's not, it's not necessary that I stay with you. What's, what's important is that I sowed the word of God 
into your heart. I put the Word of God into you, and it's the Word that's going to build you up. It's the Word that's going to give you your inheritance. It's the Word that's going to give you victory. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the case now? Amen. Oh, well, I just don't know what I'm going to do if the pastor leaves. Or I don't know what I'm... Well, I'm not planning on leaving. Don't anybody start any rumors. But, uh, you know, we shouldn't depend... Now, we need each other. There's, there's two sides to that. We need each other in the body of Christ. But it's the Word. It's not... You know, like Brother Hagin used to say, I couldn't heal a gnat's wing or a fly's eyeball. You know, something, something that minute, you know. It's not in the individual. It's not in the personality. It's in the Word of God. It's in the message. Amen? Praise God. And that's what Paul was, was telling them there. Praise God. And uh, so Paul leaves, and uh, he leaves Timothy there in Ephesus to oversee the work. Um, so Timothy was a pastor, a really overseer of a number of pastors there in the church at Ephesus. And uh, we, we read about that in, in two references in, in Paul's letters to Timothy. One is in 1 Timothy 1.3. It says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And uh, so notice what he's supposed to do. He says, I want you to remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. In other words... Timothy was to be in, was to make sure that others who were teaching were teaching the right message. So basically, Timothy was over the teachers or over the elders or the pastors of the local groups, local assemblies there in Ephesus. And then in 2 Timothy 2, 2, we find something similar. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Timothy was to teach the teachers. You see that? And Paul said, whatever, whatever you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit those truths, commit those principles, those teachings to faithful men that will be able to teach others. And so, uh, so Timothy was basically a teacher of teachers, an overseer of the church and the and the church of Ephesus was growing. There were thousands and thousands of people that were a part of the, that became believers there uh, in Ephesus. So Paul goes to Jerusalem. He's arrested there. He finally ends up in prison in house arrest in Rome. And from there, he writes the letter to the saints in Ephesus. And I want to read uh, just out of out of my Bible. <coughs> and you may have in your Bible, you may have something like this as well. Each, each book of the Bible, uh, in, uh, the Bible that I have anyway, has an introduction. Now, the introduction is not the inspired Word of God. The introduction is this man's commentary. Uh, the people that, that edited and compiled this Bible, they wrote that, uh, whatever group that was, they wrote uh, this introduction to the book uh, of Ephesians. And so I want to read... Um, I want to read that to you. Um, Ephesians is addressed to a group of believers who are rich beyond measure in Jesus Christ, yet living as beggars, and only because they are ignorant of their wealth. Now, I'm not sure that that's, that that's accurate. Uh, I'm not sure that they were ignorant of, uh, of their wealth in Christ, but that's the assumption that the, uh, 
that the transla- that the authors of this particular edition made here, um, and only because they're ignorant of their wealth, Paul begins by describing in chapters one through three the contents of the Christian's heavenly bank account: adoption, acceptance, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom, inheritance, the seal of the Holy Spirit, life, grace, citizenship. In short, every spiritual blessing. In chapters 4 through 6, the Christian learns a spiritual walk rooted in his spiritual wealth. That is, that is significant, I believe, and, and, and the reason I wanted to read this is because I wanted to point that out. And so Ephesians is divided, the book is divided neatly. The first three chapters talk about our inheritance in Christ, who we are in Christ, what our what are what the riches that we have in Christ? Chapters four through six is the practical application of that. How to live it out? How to take what God has given us in Christ and how to live it out in our daily life, in our daily, in our relationships, our family relationships, our work relationships, and all of that. Because because our Christian life, what's happened to us in Christ, should affect the way that we live. I'm glad to get a half of a feeble amen on that. Amen. 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 Right? What's happened to us ought to affect the way that we live. Amen. All right. So, uh, so he, he, it's divided uh, neatly like that. Chapters 1 through 3 talk about who we are, what we have in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6, how to live it out, how to walk it out. Praise God. Um, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, one through, chapters 1 through 3, for good works that we should walk in them. That's chapters 4 through 6. That's, of, of course, you know, Ephesians 2.10 is where that statement is from. The traditional title of this epistle is Pro-Ephesios, to the Ephesians. Many ancient manuscripts, however, admit in Ephesio, in Ephesus, in 1.1. Uh, This has led a number of scholars to challenge the traditional view that this message was directed specifically to the Ephesians. The encyclical theory proposes that it was a circular letter sent by Paul to the churches of Asia. It is argued that Ephesians is really a Christian treatise designed for general use. It involves no controversy and deals with no specific problems in any particular church, you know, Corinthians, when Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians, he was correcting all the problems they were having and answering the questions that they had. Here, that we don't find anything like that. It's, he's talking about, again, who we are in Christ, our inheritance in Christ, and then how to live it out. And so it's more, it's more generalized there. Um, so uh, some scholars accept the ancient tradition that Ephesians is Paul's letter to the Laodiceans. And there's a reference in Colossians 4.16 that says, uh, uh, the, the letter that I've, that I've written to you, take this letter and, uh, and, and send it to Laodicea and then get their letter that I wrote to Laodicea and you read that here. And, and that's interesting because the book, or the, the book of Colossians or the letter to the Colossians is very similar if you, if you compare them and, and read them, very similar to Ephesians. Colossians is just four chapters, but again, chapters one through one and two 
talk about our position in Christ, who we are in Christ, and chapters 3 and 4 talk about how to live it out and walk it out. So it's very, very interesting there. Um, so he goes on to say, uh, uh, if Ephesians began as a circular letter, it eventually became associated with Ephesus, the foremost of the Asian churches. Another plausible option is that this epistle was, a, was directed directly addressed to the Ephesians. Well, imagine that. That's why it's called Ephesians. But written in such a way as to make it helpful for all the churches in Asia. All right. Uh, one other, uh, one other, I found this very interesting. This is the introduction to Ephesians out of the Weymouth translation. So let me read this, and then we'll get right back into the Scripture. Uh, so uh, the Weymouth translation says in, in the introduction to Ephesians, this appears to have been a kind of a circular letter to the churches in Roman Asia and was not addressed exclusively to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a well-known seaport and the principal city in Roman Asia. It was famous alike for its wonderful temple containing the shrine of Artemis and for its vast theater which was capable of accommodating 50,000 persons. Now they know this through archaeological discoveries that, that, their, that their theater or their, their arena could hold 50,000 people and that's the place that, that's where this riot broke out and that we read about in Acts 19 where Paul wanted to go into and, and his friends said, no, don't you dare go in there. There were 50,000 angry Ephesians in there and uh, a lot of them mad because the idol worship was down and they were losing their business and so they said, Paul, don't go in there. And, um, but uh, apparently a very uh, impressive uh, arena that would hold, or coliseum, that would hold, you know, 50,000. That's a football stadium today. And uh, if you can imagine, that's, uh, that's huge. Uh, Weymouth uh, goes on to say, Paul was forbidden at first to preach in Roman Asia. We read that last week, that the Holy Spirit didn't permit them to go. We tried to go into Asia, but we were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. But he afterwards visited Ephesus in company with Priscilla and Aquila, which we made reference to already, Acts 18, 19. About three years later, Acts 19, 1, he came again and remained for, for some time, probably from 54 to 57 A.D. So this will give you a time frame. We know that Jesus was, was crucified and risen around 30 A.D., so this is about 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus that Paul makes it to Ephesus and, and his ministry there. Uh, preaching and, and reasoning in the school of Tyrannus until driven away through the tumult raised by Demetrius. He then went to Jerusalem by way of Miletus, but was arrested in the uproar created by the Jews, was taken first to Caesarea and then to Rome. This was probably in the spring of 61 AD that Paul goes to prison in Rome. And so the, the letter to the Ephesians Ephesian church was written from prison in Rome and so it says late in 62 or early in 63 AD this letter was written together with the companion letter to the Colossians and uh, the bottom line is this though the book of Ephesians is the inspired word of God we can talk about all the history and, and all of that stuff but what we need to know most of all it is God's inspired word to us Praise God. And it's fully applicable uh, to you and to me as New Covenant believers. 
the epistles, the, the letters that we call, the, the Bible calls them the epistles, these are letters written directly to us as New Testament, New Covenant believers. Um, I want to read you just, a, just a, a, a paragraph or two out of this little book called The Authority of the Believer and How to Use It by Billy Brim. It's a, it's a great little book, but she's talking about the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, the principles of the authority of the believer are set forth in this new covenant letter to the body of Christ. All the Bible is for the church, but not all the Bible is about the church. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the Old Testament is about God's dealings with the Jewish people, right? All right. So all the, but it's for us. We gain examples there. We gain wisdom there. We learn truth there. It's the inspired word of God. But the letters the, uh, of, which, of which Ephesians is one is to the church and about the church. The part of the Bible that is particularly about the church is in the New Testament epistles. The epistles tell you who you are, what you are, and what you have because you are in Him, or in Christ. Ephesians, even among all the epistles, is particularly pertinent to us today. And uh, so that's why we're, one reason why we're studying uh, this great book of the Bible. So are you ready? After, after one and a half sessions, we're finally ready to, to, to actually look at some verses in Ephesians. So I know the anticipation has been building, so here we go. Let's start with Ephesians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved." All right, so I'm going to stop right there and um, comment on these first six verses. We may not get past there uh, tonight, but we'll comment on these first six verses. And I want to point some things out uh, in this. First of all, it's this. Believers are called saints. He says there in verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So we're called saints. You know, some some folks... uh, uh, teach some groups teach that you know you've got to do something really special you've got to really serve God for a long long time and has Mother Teresa been sainted by the way she's not even made it yet has she yeah. has she has she been sainted okay you got to be somebody like Mother Teresa to become a saint all right but the Bible teaches and not there's no, you know thank God for Mother Teresa and the great work that she did and, and all of that But according to the Bible, according to the book of Ephesians here, according to what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, every believer in Jesus Christ is a saint. 
And uh, let me read it to you out of the New Living Translation. Look at it in the, in the New Living. Look at how it reads here. He says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Praise God. And uh, so when they got born again, we read in, in Acts 19 when those first, that first, those first 12 received Jesus, they heard the gospel and they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. When that happened, they became God's holy people and, so, and all the subsequent hundreds and thousands of people there in Ephesus that, that believed on Jesus, heard the gospel, and believed on Jesus. The moment they did that, they too became one of God's holy people <coughs> and, uh, and, or a saint. And so uh, that's what makes you a saint, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You're one of God's holy people. You say, well, I, you don't know what I've, I've done in my past. You don't know, you know you, you, I've, I've messed up too bad. Start calling yourself, start agreeing with God and start saying that you're one of God's holy people. Amen? And you say, well, yeah, but I still miss it. I still make mistakes. Yeah, that's because you still see yourself as a sinner. If you'll begin to see yourself as one of God's holy people, then it'll begin to transform your thinking and, as a result, change your behavior. Amen? That's how it works. You can't say, oh, well, I'm just going to try to do better, and once I do better, then, then maybe God will love me and maybe God will accept me. No, we're going to read. He's already accepted you. When you believed in Jesus, when you called on Jesus, when you invited Jesus to come in, we can't change ourselves. We can't make ourselves good enough to get to God. We receive the grace of God, what God did for us through Jesus, and that changes us. That's what this whole letter is all about. Praise God. As we get into it, we'll, we'll discover that. So number one, believers are called saints. And then number two, we read in verse three, uh, if we put verse three back up there for a second, Curtis, look at what it says here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? who has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So believers are blessed already, past tense, has blessed us is past tense, right? It's already been done. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in heavenly places. Uh, we're, we're already blessed with every spiritual blessing. It's already been given to us. What we need to learn to do is to appropriate those blessings. We need to learn to appropriate them in our lives. And that's why Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians so they could do that, so they could learn to appropriate all those blessings that they've, they had, they've already been blessed with and that we've already been blessed with so that we can appropriate those blessings in our lives. Now, notice it says here, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, and there's a particular location. Where is that? In the heavenly places, in Christ. Okay. So again, the in Christ is the key. What does that mean? Well, what that means is, is that when you believed on Jesus, when you and I believed on Jesus, we, uh, God, God, according to God and the way God looks at us, he sees us as in Christ. And that's really what happened 
when you, when you prayed to receive Jesus and ask him to be your Lord and Savior, God took you and he put you in Christ. And everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus has, that's who you are now. And that's what you have now. That's what it means to be in Christ. And so the, all those spiritual blessings are found in Christ. They're found when we recognize and when we understand that by the grace of God, we are in Christ. So God says, this is what I'm going to do for Jesus, my son, and everybody that's in him gets the same benefit. Praise God. All you got to do is get in Christ. And the way you get in Christ is by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, that he was raised from the dead, and you turn to him, and you call upon him and believe on him, and you become in Christ. Praise God. And then it says, in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, I used to think, growing up, when I would hear, when I, was, I grew up in church, and and uh, we had a youth choir, and I sang in the youth choir. And I remember we'd sing some song about heavenly places, and I didn't know, understand a thing about what that was. All I conjured up with uh, uh, that when I would hear that phrase or say that phrase, heavenly places, was I would see I would I would see clouds, you know, floating, and you'd see you know angels, you know, strumming harps and rainbows and. You know, those stars and heavenly places. and You know, it didn't mean a thing to me. But uh, that's not what heavenly places means at all. Uh, it's, it's powerful truth. Uh, this is the first time that, that Paul uses this phrase, heavenly places, in this letter. But he uses it uh, in other, other places in the letter. So when we understand how it's being used later in the letter, then we'll understand more about what it means right here. Does that make sense? So let's look down at verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20. It says this, which he worked in Christ. Paul said, I'm praying for you, Ephesians, that you would know the exceeding greatness of God's power that's toward us who believe, and it's the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, Jesus, at his, the Father's, right hand, in the heavenly places. That's what it means. It means seated with God. It means our position in Christ. Our position is, is that we are seated in a place of authority with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Wow. Praise God. Let's go to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. What was his motivation? Because of his great love, because we had done everything just right? No, because God's rich in mercy. Even when we were dead in our sins, God was rich in mercy toward us because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. That's what it means to be saved. To be saved means to be made alive with Christ. We were dead spiritually. We were separated from God, 
but God in his mercy made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together, where? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Praise God. So that's what's happened to us. That's our position now. We're raised up to sit with Christ in heavenly places. That's our place of authority. Praise God. And again, that's not something that's future tense. He didn't say, now when you Ephesians die and you actually go to heaven, then you'll be seated in heavenly places. No. He said he's already done that. He has raised us up together. That's past tense. He has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. It's already done. Because I'm in Christ, then I'm seated in the heavenly places. Amen? Praise the Lord. All right. Uh, let's go back to... to uh, so, <coughs> so, that's, so that's point number two. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every believer has that. And uh, now let's, Ephesians 1 verse 4. We'll look back at that. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So point number three, believers are chosen. Praise God. Believers are saints. That means we've been made holy. Number two, we're blessed. Believers are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Number three, believers are chosen. Hallelujah. Chosen that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's, that's a wonderful. That's amazing. Think about what happened in, in the Garden of Eden. What, what happened after when, when Adam and Eve sinned? What happened? They started blaming each other, didn't they? Uh, you know, Adam, Adam, Adam actually blamed God. Adam said, well, wasn't that, this woman you gave, you gave, you gave, you gave her to me. Wasn't, it wasn't my idea, it was your idea. And look at what's happened now. He started blaming God. And, and then Eve said, well, the devil made me do it. So there was all kinds of blame going around. But praise God, God chose us in Christ, in redemption, in salvation. He chose us that we should be holy and without blame, without blame. The blame game ends right here. Aren't you glad? That we can be holy and without blame. Hallelujah. God, God's not holding your sin against you. When you come to Jesus, when you receive him, he wipes the slate clean. He sees you as holy, sees you as a saint, and he sees you without blame. Hallelujah. Praise God. Again, this is not some status that we attain to. Well, if I just work hard enough at it, then I might get to a place that I'm without blame. No, God says, I'm choosing you before the foundation of the world, that you should be holy and without blame before him in love. Hallelujah. It's the love of God that, that, that causes him to see us that way. Amen. Praise God. It's the love of God that causes him to remember our sins no more. Praise God. All right, verse 5. 
having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So point number four tonight is this. Believers are predestined to adoption as sons. So let's talk about this uh, idea of predestination for a minute. It says here that we're predestined. A lot of people have different ideas about this concept or of, of predestination, what it means. And uh, one, one, uh, one uh, school of thought, one concept is, and predestination is, God says, okay, you're going to be saved, you're going to hell, saved, hell, saved, hell. And that God chooses like that. And you're predestined and there's nothing you can do about it. And uh, it's kind of like, if you were here Sunday, Kim Clout, every little thing, help. <laughs> so, uh, but but uh, the predestination is not like that at all. Um, to to say that some are predestined to be saved while others are predestined to be lost and to go to hell, we would have to ignore vast portions of the New Testament. We would have to ignore John three sixteen, which says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son." that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life is offered to whoever believes. It's not based on if God chose you to be saved or not, if God predestined you to be saved or not. It's for whoever believes. Romans 10, 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's for whoever. Praise God. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires... Who? All men, meaning all people, generic. All men, all people. To, God desires... One translation said God wills all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires, God wants everybody to be saved. Amen. That's his, that's his desire. Now, not everybody's going to be saved. We know that from other scriptures. What, well, what, who, but is God choosing that? No, we already see what God's will is. It's his will that everybody be saved. But he gives, he's given to every individual the freedom of choice. You can choose to receive Jesus, believe the gospel, Believe the word of God and, and receive Jesus. Or you can choose to reject him and not receive him. It's up to you. God's already decided what he wants. He wants all people to come. That's why, that's why he made the provision. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He covered it all in one shot for all of humanity, for all of mankind. Praise God. Uh, 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will, that everyone, that all come to repentance. Praise God. So what is predestination then? Well, we find it in, in Romans chapter 8. In verse 29, it says, For whom he foreknew. Does God know 
everything? Does God know who will believe and who will refuse to believe? Does God know who will receive his son and who will reject his son? God knows, doesn't he? And those whom he foreknew, he says, okay, everybody that chooses Jesus, everybody that receives Jesus, everybody that believes on Jesus, I am predestining them to be conformed to the image of my son. That's what God is saying. So he says, if you get in, then hold on, because here's the ride that we're going on. You're going to be like Jesus when this is all said and done. Amen. Amen. He predestined you. Your destiny, once you receive Jesus, is to be like Jesus. It's to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the, not only, not, no more the only begotten, but the firstborn among many brethren. Wow. The first, Jesus is no longer called, once we get to the epistles, he's no longer called the only begotten. He's called the firstborn. In one place, he's called the firstborn from the dead. In other places, he's called, like here, the firstborn among many brethren. Speaking of his resurrection forward. Amen. Praise God. So, so once you're in the family, as an act of your will, by choosing Jesus, then your destiny, the predetermined will of God for you, is to become like Jesus. Amen. And then uh, back to Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us to adoption as sons. He didn't predestine some to be saved, some not to be saved. But, but once we're in, he said, I'm adopting you as my son. You're going to be... You know, not, not just someone that got saved. You're going to be, you're going to have full sonship. Thank you. Amen. Praise God. By Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And that's point number five tonight. Believers have been accepted in the the beloved. New American Standard says it like this, to the praise of the glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved. You are favored. The favor of God is on you. So again, let's, uh, let's go through it as we, as we close up tonight. These, these five things that we are and that we have because of Jesus and because we have believed on him. Number one, we are saints. So can you say that? Say, I am a saint. I am one of God's holy people. And, number, and, then, number, and then number two uh, is this. Believers are blessed. So can you say this? Say, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I am seated with him in heavenly places. Praise God. And then number three, believers are chosen. So can you say this? Can you say, I am chosen. I'm chosen by God that I should be holy and without blame. Hallelujah. And then number four, believers are predestined. So can you say this? Say, I am predestined 
to adoption as a child of God. I'm being made like Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. And then, and then the fifth one, believers have been accepted in the beloved. So can you say this? Say, I am accepted. I am accepted by God. I am favored by God. The favor of God is over my life. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. All right. Uh, let's pray.